Well, do you ever notice how uh, drawn to power that we are as, as a people, as people? How drawn to kind of spectacle and sensational things that we are? Why do we, why do we gather by the thousands in stadiums to see athletes play, to see musicians perform? Why do we, why do, we do that? Why do we... Why do we love extravagant fireworks displays on the 4th of July? Why isn't it just good enough to do sparklers, you know, on the front lawn? Why do we like the extravagant displays? Why are we so impressed by things like, you know, like Niagara Falls uh, in New York or, I don't know, Toronto, depending on what side you're on? Um, why do we love things like the Hoover Dam? If you've ever been there in Arizona, this monster, the largest dam in the United States. Why do we... Why are we so drawn to things of magnitude? Um, I think one of the reasons why is that God created us to be worshipers. God created us to intrinsically be people that like to look at things that are bigger than us, more powerful than us, and then to allow our praise to go out towards those things and to actually make them bigger than what they even are. I mean, I literally could not shut up about how beautiful the day was yesterday. And it was just sunshine, leaves, and you know, hoodies all day, right? Um, but what we're not as drawn to is the source, I think, of the power and the spectacle and the sensational things that we are really drawn to. In fact, if you were to go underneath the stage at, say, uh, like a U2 concert, um, you, you would actually see what the source and where the source of all the sound being made on the stage was coming from. And it might actually disappoint you uh, a little bit. But what God's word does, this we're going to look a little bit into this morning. What God's word does is it points us back to the source. It points us back to the power behind the power. The problem with that is that we wake up every morning to mundane lives for many of us, most of us, all of us. We wake up every morning to our Monday lives which feel like anything but power, that feel like anything but spectacular or sensational. But the question that we're going to ask and hopefully answer this morning as we dive into Acts 3, and you can start going there right now, is what if the mundane and the unspectacular is where we best see God's power demonstrated to us and for us and through us. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning as we, I think we're in week five of our Acts series. You can turn to Acts chapter three right now. A little bit of a backdrop to the series, uh, we see that after Jesus emerged from death, that's really important for us to understand that all this is happening on the heels of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And after Jesus emerged from death, like he said, by the way, he was going to, what he did was he left instructions for his followers. He said, I'm going to begin a global movement now. And by the way, you are going to be my witnesses to this new gospel life that you've experienced that I am going to let out and unleash on the rest of the world because it's available. And it's not just available to the Jewish people. It's available for all of those who repent of their sins and believe that I am God. But of course, the disciples, they needed to wait. He said, you need to wait to receive power to be able to proclaim this gospel message around the world. So the disciples waited, we saw, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were able to 
preach the gospel in a way that was understood in all of these different languages. We saw this power come upon them and then unleash out of them. And then last week we left off with Scott Long uh, leading us through what happened as Jesus began to build his church. So let's pick up in verse 42. And again, Scott did such an amazing job last week um, leading us through these verses starting in 42. And it said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We're gonna see one of those wonders and signs this morning. And then verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then it finishes by saying, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is the, the backdrop that leads us into where we are now, which is to see how God demonstrated this power, these signs and wonders to confirm that everything his followers were saying and what they were about to say as they just traveled through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, that everything that they were saying about Jesus was true. So God allowed them to have power and had signs and wonders to accompany this truth. And this is what we're seeing right now as Peter and John take off, they go to the temple for one of three times that the temple engaged in people being able to show up and have a time of prayer that would have been 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. The disciples, it's time for them to go for the third hour of prayer at 3 p.m. And this is what happens as we go into verse one. You can read along with me. It said, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's just stop right there. We have a long chapter. We're gonna sort of piece our way through it. So the first way here that we see God demonstrating his power to the early church through his followers, Peter and John, is that he demonstrated his mercy. And he demonstrated his mercy to the lowly of all people, what we read here, a man that Luke refers to as a lame beggar who is unable to walk to the temple gate just so that he can rely on others. A man unable to walk since birth gets noticed by Peter and John. It would have been easy for Peter and John to enter the temple like they did every day for their three o'clock prayers and just conveniently ignore this needy man. 
But what do we see her happening is that we see that they see him. We see that Peter and John acknowledge him. They hear him. They direct their gaze at him. Remember what we learned a few weeks ago when we wait and we pray like the disciples did, the Holy Spirit is going to provide us with opportunities to care for people. He's going to open doors for compassion for us, to unleash compassionate care for those that are in need. Now, again, look at the situation that this brother is in. He has to rely on others to be carried to the temple gate just so he can rely on others for the alms or the money that he needs just to get by. Now, people back in this particular time, uh, people that would have been disabled, I mean, they had no recourse. There was nothing but for them to do but beg. And we see that today in, in our society too, in some pockets of our society. He knew that those who were faithful to come to the temple to pray would also be the most likely to obey the Jewish law that said, hey, one of your obligations in obeying God's law is to care for the needy. But we got to look at the urgency of this guy being carried to the gate day after day to beg that somebody would give him enough money to survive. Because here's what we don't see when we look at this man. We don't see any ability here. We don't see a man who was able to make any contribution to society. We see a person completely at the mercy of others' mercy. And yet, what do we see if we go behind this? Well, we see a man who was noticed by God. We see a man in this moment with Peter and John who was loved by God. We see a man as much loved by God as Peter and John were loved by God. So sometimes what happens is that God gives us physical realities to remind us of our spiritual reality, which is that we are beloved by God, but at the same time, born without any ability to come to him. This man's life is a, meta it's a metaphor for our lives in a lot of ways, which is that we have no power to provide anything for ourselves. So we look at a man like that that's being carried to the temple gate and then has to rely on his voice to beg for money to get by, and we don't put ourselves in that category, when in reality, spiritually, we're all in that category. The Holy Spirit literally has to carry you to the foot of the cross as God reaches down to feed you with the body and blood of Christ, which in a few minutes we're going to symbolize by taking communion. What's interesting for us as we look into this story is that Peter and John don't see this man as a nuisance, right? They don't see him as being undeserving or even as a project, right? Peter and John see this brother as a person in need of physical healing. And what's interesting is that the man simply wanted money. He had no expectation for healing. He wanted money, but what he really needed was something money couldn't buy. And so the question, even as we're diving into the first 10 verses of this chapter, is, is it really any different for you and for me? Is this reality that we read about with this man today, is it really that much different for us, regardless of where we're at physically? Is it really any different? Psalm 127 tells us, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
So what this verse reminds us of is that there is something in us that continues to turn and to spin and to go after what we think we need with the anxiety that fuels that need. But then the psalmist takes us back to what the Lord actually is providing for us underneath it all, which is he gives his beloved sleep. What good is all of these things if what we're getting underneath it isn't the actual thing that we need, right? And of course, this was God's mercy in sending Jesus to you and to me, right? This was God's mercy in sending Jesus. Oh, you want a political leader to save you from the oppression of the Roman government? How about the creator of the universe? How about I send you him to save you from the oppression of your sin, right? So we see this is a theme all the way through the Gospels. The disciples and the people wanting something that wasn't a bad thing, but the whole time God having something underneath it and behind it, which was the actual thing that they needed and that they desired and that they longed for. And of course, in this, we see how Peter and John are living out the Great Commission here, right? They're doing it by showing compassion on a man who from birth had nothing but a voice to beg with. And all Peter and John do, look at this as a model, okay, as we're, as we're reading this. All Peter and John do is stop. And what do they say? They say, look at us. They say, look at us. And there was no money. Peter and John had no money. The disciples were so honest about their inability. And what's crazy is that they're super okay with that. They're super okay with saying, silver and gold, we ain't got it. But we have something else that we think you need even more. So this begs the question then for us, which is, are you okay with your inability? When we start thinking about the responsibility that we have for those people that God has put around us that need the power and the mercy of God demonstrated to them. Are you okay with your inability when it comes to living out the Great Commission? Because these brothers were. Interestingly, you have what these disciples have. Now sure, it likely won't be demonstrated through you the same way it was demonstrated through them. They were apostles, you are not an apostle, right? But it's no less the mercy of Jesus who granted this man the ability to walk by faith in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of Caesar, by the way. Not in the name of compassion, by the way. Or in the name of friendship. Or in the name of charity, which, by the way, are all good things. But this man was demonstrated the power of God through the name of Jesus. Now, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a boss, man, you invoke the name of your name. Uh, you invoke the power of your name all, all the time, Right? You invoke the power of your name constantly. You must do this because I am your mom and I have faith that when I tell you to do something, you're going to do it. I know, we're going to ask that mom, how's that been working out for you lately, right? So it breaks down. But there's a particular kind of power that your name has when the boss comes to you and says, I really need to do this. Uh, I really need you to do this for me. And you ask why, which might be the first mistake you make. And the only thing he says is because I'm your boss, it's kind of enough. Unless you just don't want to be employed there anymore, right? 
But the name of Jesus is where actual power is contained, right? Where the power behind the power is actually found, which is what we're seeing demonstrated here through Peter and John. So Peter raises this brother by the hand, and what does he do? He leaps up. He leaps up. His limbs are given strength again. And then he ends up praising God as he walks into the temple because as a disabled person, he wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. So by Peter and John raising him up and bringing him into the temple, it gave evidence to the fact that, hold on, something happened here. And it's not something that mere man could do, but it was something that only God can do. And the people, it says, are filled with wonder and amazement. Now, let's be clear. God may not provide healing. He may not provide it to others through you or even healing to you personally. That's never promised in scripture. And it's not normative when it happens. And we never demand from God that it does happen. In fact, healing and prosperity in this life is never God's end game. Regardless of what some churches might teach and, and steer you and try to lead you, lead you down a road with. So we should rejoice for those things he does demonstrate through us to others, right? Because he demonstrates a lot of different power through us. In fact, he demonstrates the power of prayer through us. When is the last time you prayed with a brother and a sister? When's the last time you prayed for a brother or a sister? That's a demonstration of God's power through you to somebody else. He demonstrates the power of compassion through us. There was a power going through Peter and John that was compassionate towards this man, not ignoring the place that he was in. He demonstrates the power of mercy through us, the power of justice through us. He demonstrates the power of kindness through you. And when he doesn't heal physically, he demonstrates the power to endure through us and through you. All those things demonstrate the truth and the realness of Jesus who has unworldly, otherworldly power. So as you look at verses 1 through 10, this is what we see. To come to Jesus, we need to see ourselves like this beggar. We need to see ourselves a lot like this beggar. And to have compassion on our neighbors, to have neighborly love, we need to see them like this beggar. Because it's going to put our hearts in the right place to demonstrate those kinds of powers of mercy and compassion and prayer and justice that people need. So God's power is demonstrated through his mercy to the lowly. And by reading something like this, it gives us eyes to the people around us that might fit into more of what we would consider a lowly, maybe societal category. Because we recognize that all of us, what did we just sing when we sang in grace alone? I mean, all of us were, were orphans. We needed Jesus. None of us were in a place of high privilege. All of us were in a place of desperate, dire, dirty neediness. So this passage brings us back to that. And it tells us how God's power is demonstrated through his mercy to us, just like it was to this dude begging at the beautiful gate who nobody very rarely, probably, most likely ever noticed until Peter and John walked along. 
So God's power is demonstrated through mercy to the least, also demonstrated through his knowledge to the ignorant, which is what we see next. I'm going to pick up here in verse 11. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, this is the beggar, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He said, get this, he said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled so God's power demonstrates his knowledge to the ignorant. Here's what's so interesting as we look at this, is I think our wonder and our amazement, as we see here with these people, is easily misdirected, right? And we are impressed by just power and spectacle. And most of the time, nothing as great is like a sold out like stadium show, even, right? I mean, we just bend toward idolization of even things that probably on an earthly level, like don't even deserve it, right? I was watching a, uh, I was watching a, uh, a, uh, just a YouTube video recently about these dudes that were like holding water bottles and they got these big crowds around them and all they would do is like flip the water bottle and it would end up like standing like right side up and like the whole place just like went bonkers. And just cheered like it was like the greatest feat of like magic and strength like ever performed by man. And you're just watching this going, I mean, it's cool. Like, I got it. It's like taking some work and some talent and some repetition. And boy, have you got a lot of time on your hands to like figure all this out. But, but it was just crazy, right? Because like these crowds just kept like kind of like, you know, coming together and coming together. And literally every time that bottle landed right side up, I mean, you would have thought right? That like something major was happening. You get on the circle and there's a water bottle just sitting there right side up, right? And everybody's just going crazy. Um, man, we are so easily impressed. We are so easily impressed by power and spectacle, man. We bend. We just bend toward idolization. That's one example of it. But we bend toward the idolization of people, Right? I mean, I don't know if you've been following uh, Kanye West, and it, it's not really that you follow Kanye West, it's that Kanye West follows you now. Because <laughs> he's everywhere, right? And so the big thing is that Kanye West has been doing Sunday church services all across the country. I, that doesn't really fit into our New Testament model of you know, being a localized church much. Um, but the big rumor is that Kanye ha has had a legitimate uh, a conversion to, to Christ. And man, I hope, th I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. Um, in fact, he had a brother that preached at one of his services a couple weeks ago, and this guy straight up just opened Isaiah 6, and it was just all about like sin and the gospel. I mean, just dropped it on everybody. It was 
hardcore, it was heavy, it was beautiful, right? Um, so I, I hope it's true, but what good is it for our gazes to be directed at Kanye? He's a talented dude, but what good is it for our gaze to be directed at Kanye? It's much more serious than that for us. So Peter is making an appeal to these people to get their eyes off of him and John. He's basically saying, quit being so easily impressed. I really think this speaks to us, doesn't it? I mean, this really speaks to us. I think it goes back to what Paul tells us in Romans 1.25. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we have such a tendency to put our eyes on things that look great and powerful, but ignoring the power behind the power, right? Because look, a dynamic preacher, an incredible singer, an uber-talented athlete, a best-selling author, a financial guru, a, you know, a weight loss, self-help expert, Man, you got to ask the question, why are we filled with wonder and amazement at the power of mere human ability? Peter says, can we talk about what's really going on? Can I tell you about the power behind the power? Peter is saying, it's Jesus. There is a power, but it's the power behind the perceived power. It's Jesus. He says, it's the holy one. It's the righteous one that you denied. It's Jesus, the author of life that you killed. I got to tell you, there's something refreshing about Peter's boldness here, right? He's like, I know you acted in ignorance. It's like, you know, Peter, not a, not a guy that knows how to make friends and influence people, right? He said, I know you acted in ignorance, but he said, God was never ignorant. God was never ignorant. He planned a long time ago for his son to suffer on the cross for the sins of the world. Peter brings us back to Isaiah 53, which, is a, which Jesus was a fulfillment of, which says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It's just Kanye don't got that stuff. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So what Peter's doing here is he's saying, I need you to all understand what's actually going on here. It's not like Peter, it's not like myself and my boy John here have some magic tricks up our sleeve. It's not like we even have a supernatural power that's intrinsically built into us. He said it's nothing like that at all. All of this is a fulfillment of Jesus, who has the power, who is the power. So, here is the gospel message that Peter is saying Jesus fulfilled. Here is the gospel message for you and for me. If you have lived a life of ignorance and denial, but now recognize that in fact your sin is so horrific that it moved God to send Jesus to be killed. If that's you, if that realization, if your understanding of that today, right now, is becoming unclouded, if it's becoming a little clearer, then you are getting closer. You are finally being drawn near to Jesus. You are finally coming to see your true self 
And by the way, that's what you all want. The masks that you are wearing, the stuff that we do, the, the, the things we cloak ourselves in to keep us from having to face the uncomfortableness of that truth and to look at things that, are drawn, that we're, we're drawn more to because of spectacle and sensationalism and power. That's the thing that Jesus is breaking away through his demonstration of mercy and him providing knowledge to us in our ignorance. That is the true self that Jesus is bringing us to become. If that is you, you are inches away from the power behind the power. You are face to face with a knowledge that says the power of God to raise a lame beggar is the same power to blot out your sins. This is how God transforms ignorance into illumination. And then Peter says here, which I think is the most beautiful part of the passage here in verse 19 through 26, we're going to read it. He says, it's so that times of refreshing may come. I'm going to read 19, follow along. It says, Peter is saying this, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago, like we just read from Isaiah. And then verse 22, he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Peter's trying to say, you guys know, you guys have heard these things. These guys, these things have been preached to you. These are the things you have learned in the synagogue all growing up as you've been taught the scriptures. And then in verse 25, he says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So I'm going to finish up right now. And then we're going to take communion. Jeff's going to come up and lead us through communion. If we're not careful, we can be a church that fills people with wonder and amazement. We have a wonderful community here. We do. I'm super, I'm super encouraged. I'm super blessed all the time by this community. We have, a, we have an amazing community here. We have amazing people. Some of y'all are amazing. I probably should have said all of you. <laughs> right? We get our donuts from Hawkins. We have some things going on here, you know? I'll let you laugh that one out. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> But if we're not careful, we can be a church that fills people with wonder and amazement. But does it end with community? Does it end with amazing people? Does it end with Hawkins Donuts? Does it end there? Here's my question. 
that I was asking myself this week, I'm gonna ask you, and it's this. I want you to really listen to me. Can somebody who doesn't know Jesus exist at our church for years and years and believe they're okay? Because everything other than their soul has been sought after and cared for. Can somebody who doesn't know Jesus exist at our church for years and years and believe they're okay? Because everything other than their soul has been sought after and cared for? Now, I understand that this is the part of the sermon that some of you check out of right now. You say, I'm saved and now I'm bored, Ronnie. Well, what's so interesting to the people that Peter is preaching to is that they thought they were saved too until they saw the power of God heal a lame beggar and they started following Peter on Instagram instead of praising God like this beggar. Their response revealed their ignorance. So what happens? Peter preaches to them like he preaches to us, like I'm preaching to you. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of the church. Al Mohler says, these are the four things that repentance must be. Listen to what he says. He says the first thing it needs to be is intellectual. He says someone must have an awareness and an understanding that they have done wrong. The second thing he says is it has to be emotional. Someone must hate sin as God hates sin. Thirdly, he said it has to be volitional. Someone must have an earnest desire to change and to sin no more. Now remember, he said earnest desire to change and sin no more. None of us ever achieve perfection in this life. Number four, it needs to be spiritual. Someone must believe that Christ is faithful and just to forgive all sins, cleanse from all unrighteousness those who confess their sins. Man, I would love to baptize some of you that grew up Christian because you've come to the knowledge that you've been ignorant and your salvation was never real. It was just the environment that your parents dropped you in, that you had no choice to walk out of. I would love this day to be the day that some of you come to the sober realization that you've never had a heart that's loved Jesus and trusted him. You've just enjoyed being around others that do. I would love everyone in this room to be shocked to hear some of your testimonies and see some of you being baptized because looking at you from the outside, they would have had no idea. I would love that. I would love this time of refreshing to come upon some of you by repenting and turning and believing. Because see, these men and women Peter was speaking to, they would have understood what he was getting at when he got to the prophecy that he was quoting to them from Moses. Do you understand what God is speaking to your heart right now? Do you need healing like this beggar? Do you need mercy like Peter and John needed mercy? Do you need knowledge 
like these men and women that thought they were okay as they were following Peter and John back into the temple with the beggar to see the power and the spectacle. Because, you know, your desire for some of those things is not bad. It's good. But the times of refreshing that Peter is talking about come through repentance and turning back. Is this the very thing that's been holding you back? For those of you who are saved and you find yourself in a season of suffering and you find yourself in a season of mourning the life you wish you had but you were not given. What do you find yourself turning back to instead of away from? Is it the power behind the power? Or is it like spiritual Tylenol? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday whose uncle was just diagnosed with lung cancer. And he refuses to go to the hospital. One of the reasons why he gave for not wanting to go to the hospital is because he said, nobody's going to put me in one of those gowns. And so his brother said, well, how can I help you then? And his reply was, never speak of it again. I mean, last time I checked, that was not the cure for cancer, to never speak of it again. Do you find yourself in this place? Do you find yourself in this place? Do you desire those times of refreshing? Because they're there. But they're there in the way that Peter has told us they are there. By repenting and by turning back. By repenting and by turning back. That your sins may be blotted out. Some of us want to be refreshed so bad. But what we keep doing is we keep doing what happens if you've ever been to a place like Arizona in the summer when it gets up to about 120 degrees and you jump in the pool to cool off and you realize the water feels hotter than the air that you just jumped out of. And you're not very refreshed, man. You're not very refreshed at all. Some of your lives are like jumping into these warm, hot pools. They never refresh. They're a pool. They look, they look cool. It, it's water. It should refresh, but it never does because it's under the heat of a sun that won't allow it to. What we need is what we had yesterday. We need the coolness of God's grace to turn us back to God's face, which is the power behind the power that we need, like this lame beggar needed like Peter and John needed and got, and like these brothers and sisters that they were preaching to. Because this lame beggar was faced with the mundaneness of his life like we are. But whether it's mundane or whether it's marvelous, both of those things are meant to move us to magnificence, the magnificence of God, the power behind the power. Look at what we had here today. A beggar with new limbs. What? A sinner with a new heart. It's magnificence. It's mercy. It's power. 
It's not Google or Siri. It's not something we can just control and get our grip around and feel like we're moving forward in life and we're doing a little bit better and we're getting a few more accomplishments and people are affirming us. It's the opposite of that. It's not the illusion of power. It's the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that undergirds everything that is calling you to give your life to it. It's the power of the gospel. It's the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what it all comes back to. That's what Peter and John are trying to communicate to us this morning through this word that has carried itself through the last 2,000 years. Will we listen? Will we receive? Will we let this knowledge turn us from ignorant people to illuminated people? Will we let God's mercy speak to us in our lowliness so that times of refreshing may come? Lord, we just want to come before you this morning as lowly people, as people that recognize their ignorance, as people that need your gospel truth as much today as we did the first time we heard it, whenever that was. God, thank you for the grace and the mercy that we find ourselves surrounded by right now. We are surrounded by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ right now. It's available to us. A lot of us have been jumping in very warm pools, hoping to be refreshed. When the coolness and the refreshing joy of your grace is waiting for us. God, would you open us up to that this morning, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.